Hey, welcome to Life in the Leadership Lane. I'm Bruce Waller, your host, where I'm getting to talk to leaders that are making a difference in the workplace and in our community. What did they do to get started and what are they doing to stay there? And today, man, I've got a couple of special guests I'm going to get to talk to, and we're going to talk about the Talent War. It's a book that's coming out in November. And so today we're going to talk to Mike Cirelli. Uh, he is the CEO of uh, Overwatch. And we're also going to talk to George Randall. He is the VP of Global Talent Acquisition for Forcepoint. And man, I, I got to tell you, I'm super excited to have you guys on the show. Thanks. Thank Glad to be here. Yeah. So I was actually thinking, you know, I, I, I was not in the military. Um, but my uh, grandfather was in the U.S. Navy, and he died in World War II in a, uh, a massive explosion uh, in California. And so uh, he served. And then my uh, father-in-law, Dewey Ivey, in Duncan, Oklahoma, he was in the U.S. Marines. And he's 83, and he's very proud. He wears this hat everywhere he goes. It's fantastic. And then my uh, nephew just, uh, he just left boot camp or just got out of boot camp and he was stationed in Fort Jackson, South Carolina. So, you know, when I think about guys that have served in the military, I'm just so humbled to get the opportunity to, to talk to them. So I just want to, first of all, just open the show and just say, hey, thank you uh, for your service and what you're doing. Thank you so much. That, that, that means the world. And it sounds like your family comes from a long line of uh, service to our country. So we, we need more families like that, quite frankly. Well, we're going to talk, we're going to talk about Talent War, and I, I'm really, really excited to get into to this book. Uh, but be, before I do that, uh, Mike, I would love for you to talk a little bit about, just give a brief overview of EF Overwatch. I mean, I know it's an executive search for, tell me a little bit about the organization and, and what you guys do and how you serve uh, customers. Yeah, absolutely. Great, uh, great question. Uh, so EF Overwatch is a sister company of the, the company uh, above me, if people see the screen, Echelon Front. Echelon Front was formed by Jocko Willink and Leif Babin. If those names aren't familiar, they wrote a book, best-selling uh, New York Times bestseller, uh, Extreme Ownership. And so from that, they started a leadership consulting firm, leadership training. And when I finally retired from the SEAL teams in uh, 2018, I'd already started a foundation called Vetted Foundation. Uh, which Huffington Post has, uh, you know, hailed as uh, potentially revolutionizing the way that veterans exit the military. That was really the impetus behind EF Overwatch. EF Overwatch, as you said, is a specialized executive uh, search firm, and we focus on high-performing military leaders, leaders that have some significant leadership experience and a proven track record uh, of producing results in the military. So there are no firms out there that really represent that level of veterans. Uh, and it is a very white glove service. So usually we are placing anywhere from general managers up to CEOs and board of directors. Uh, very, very similar in the economics of an execu executive search firm uh, industry. That's fantastic. I appreciate you sharing that. Um, and, and, and George, how about Forcepoint? Uh, can you tell me just a high level, a little bit about that organization? Yeah, it's a $1 billion cybersecurity company um, that software as a service, uh, wholly owned by Raytheon. And so we have 3, 000, nearly 3,000 people globally uh, selling leading edge cybersecurity software. 
Yeah, that's uh, that's fantastic. I, uh, you know, when when um, you know, I, I want to give a quick shout out, Aaron Potashin. So Aaron, a good friend of mine in Austin, Texas, he introduced us. Uh, Aaron uh, is a SVP for Alliant Insurance, or retirement um, plan consultant. And I just wanted to give him a shout out, just to, to say, hey, uh, thanks, Aaron, for introducing us. And now, how how do you know uh, Aaron, Mike? Aaron and I, and I connected on LinkedIn much the same way that George and I did. I mean, this goes to show you the power of LinkedIn as a one, not only controlling your brand and your narrative, but, uh, you know, linking to, uh, to other like-minded business leaders. So Aaron and I linked up, George and I actually did a, a, a podcast with him, but you want to talk about, and then this goes to our theory, always surround yourself with like-minded good people. Aaron is one of the most sincere um, just impressive business leaders uh, I've ever uh, met. And, you know, quite frankly, I still use him as a resource when I run into, uh, since I'm you know, relatively new to the business world, uh, as a resource when I run into uh, to business problems because he's, uh, he's seen a lot. Aaron is a super, super guy, very well connected, uh, has Disrupt HR in Austin as well as Dallas. I mean, I'm just, bit, I'm a big fan. So, uh, grateful for that. Uh, George, I'm, I'm curious. I mean, we're going to talk about this book, The Talent War. Um, yeah. Whose idea was this book? Was this you? Was this Mike? This uh, no, you know, I got to give Mike due credit. I, I had an idea in my head for writing a book sometime before, but it would have been mostly, you know, about the HR function and stuff. But, you know, when Mike and I came together over two years ago, yeah, clearly Mike's idea said, hey, we've got so much for a book. And so really what we were doing was we were taking 20 years of special operations, leadership, selection, assessment, and combining it, and I have some time in the military, with 20 years of talent acquisition, which you've got the best organization in the world, the US military, which is the world's greatest leadership incubator. And, and you've got Mike that's a part of that and one of the most critical, the tip of the spear part, and then combining it with the Fortune 500, Fortune 50 experience that I've had with talent, but his idea, but it was just like, we both looked at each other and said, yeah, we gotta go, we gotta go do this. I, I, I'm curious, you know, one of the things that I, I love talking about is it when, you know, when we find our lane in our career, on our journey along the way, um, and I'm looking here, you're a uh, former U.S. Army officer. Mm -hmm. um, yep. So, I mean, you, I mean, it took you, I mean, you were in the military for a long time before you achieved that, right? So, obviously, you were in there for a while and you decided, hey, I really like this. I like what I'm, how did you know? Like, was there a moment where you're like, this is for me? I'm, this, well, is, I'm, this is my calling. Yeah, and it was it was a rather strange moment. But then, as I started piecing everything together from my military to the civilian world, it made a lot of sense. Uh, I was working for a great consulting firm in the D.C. Northern Virginia area, and I had to get back to Texas. And so, I had had some recruiting in my background with a veteran firm, but I got into HR and literally went from resource management to leading large town organization. And at some point, somebody asked me why. And because you don't go into the army and then get out and think you're going to grow up to be a recruiter, which is essentially what I am. But what I realized real quick after getting into HR, having been in company command, been a platoon leader, it's about the people. It's about the talent. It's about building teams and the ability to select and put together those teams that win in any environment. Uh, I, I didn't realize how much I was drawn to it. And once I got into it, 
Uh, I'm never bored. Uh, I love it every day. Um, you do have to have a bit of a masochistic gene to you to stay in the function for any length of time. Um, but there's nothing better than helping veterans get jobs, helping people get the career of their choice, and at the same time knowing you're contributing to the most important thing, which is human capital, which is driving everything else. Uh, that's fantastic. Um, Mike, I'm, I'm curious. So this book we're going to talk about, uh, I, I would love for you to kind of just share before we get into that, I would love to just kind of share like you, you're, you're uh, obviously um, U.S. Navy SEAL. Uh, you, you know, you've been in it a long time as well. Um, two things. Number one is what, when did you know that you had found like your, your purpose, number one? And number two, when did you decide, hey, I'm going to write this book and I'm going to make this happen. Yeah, absolutely. So first off, I, I've got to, you know, in, in uh, tune with your, your grandfather, who's in the, uh, the Marine Corps. I started out in the United States Marine Corps. I'm very proud of that fact. And I was a recon Marine and a, uh, a scout sniper. Um, and then eventually I met some SEALs and I said, hey, that's my next challenge. I came from the Bay Area and I came from a pretty affluent uh, area. And when I joined the military, I was fascinated by this melting pot of people from all over this country, from all creeds, you know, races, uh, sexual orientations, uh, different viewpoints. And they all had one thing in common, a sense of purpose. Uh, and they loved this country. And it was not, it wasn't the cool stuff we got to do. It was the people that kept me in that job for 20 years. Um, and, you know, ultimately, the hard thing about being a military leader and after 10, 15, or 20 years of service, or sometimes 30, you've got to find a new purpose. And that isn't easy. Mm -hmm. And I went to the UT uh, you know, McCombs Business School to get my MBA. I figured, hey, you know, I'll, I'll figure out what I, what I want to do. And I thought I wanted to be investment banking, private equity, and I was so wrong. And the MBA process for me was more of a process of elimination of finding what my next mission was. And when I got to uh, meet an executive search uh, professional and he started talking about talent, I almost perked up and I wanted to engage in that conversation because I'm like, you know what? Talent was what separated special operations from the enemy combatants we faced on the battlefield or other, sometimes other communities in the military. We put a precedence on people and we had a long conversation and that was sort of, you know, by, by happenstance, how it happened. And, and I found my purpose. And uh, this book really, um, a lot of companies, and I, I don't want to be uh, negative, a lot of companies don't understand how to build high-performing teams. They just don't. And, and if you think a Navy SEAL, when he got out, said, I'm going into HR, you, you'd be crazy. <laughs> uh, it, it was the last area I thought I, I, I'd, uh, I, I'd find myself in. But... Um, you know what drives George and I in this book is we believe the greatest strength in this nation is not the U.S. military, even though that's pretty damn impressive. Mm -hmm. It's the U.S. economy. And honestly, we believe we can help companies reshape or form a talent mindset to start building organizations around the right people to drive that organization forward. You talk about COVID, the timing of this book, we, you know, we couldn't have timed it better. COVID has been the perfect example of business leaders looking at their organizations and saying, we didn't have the right team to thrive through a crisis. Most people just try to, to make it through a crisis. But if you have a, an organization that truly understands talent and you built a high performing team, 
you have people with a mindset that say crisis, we're going to thrive through this. We're going to come out stronger on the, uh, the back end. And that's why we wrote this book. I love how you uh, bring up high performing teams. I actually uh, just got through uh, posting an episode, uh, Diane Sanford. She's the uh, chief people officer at uh, on the border. And she had a quote in there and it says, uh, teams that really work well together get charged up because they believe in the goal they are going after and they believe in how they're going to get there. I just love that. Like they believe in the mission and that's, a little bit of what you're talking about. I want to talk about this book, The Talent War, how special operations uh, and great organizations win on talent. And I was uh, just look at the very first five words in the intro says the talent war is hard. And you were talking about how many organizations just can't get this because it's so hard. Uh, I also want to mention uh, the 7-Eleven uh, CEO, J uh, Joe Pinto. Uh, he says this book provides insert uh, insights to recruit and retain in a VUCA, in a VUCA environment. So when you talk about it's the perfect like time for the, you are so right. We're in that environment, aren't we? We we are, Ab absolutely. And a VUCA is a military term: uh, volatility, uh, uncertainty, uh, crisis or chaos, and uh, ambiguity. And we, I mean, this, this becomes the norm, especially during the global war on terror for the leaders. They were placed in these environments in Iraq, Afghanistan, and other regions of the world that we, we, we don't need to mention. And it was just deployment after deployment. And when they got put into these horrible situations for which there was no textbook answer, you would see them just smile and say, I've got the right team. No factor. We are going to thrive through this crisis and solve it. And that's why... Uh, I think the business world is so fascinated with special operations and for good reason. Um, if we can bring those lessons, those best practices together, which is the point, the military has a lot to offer the private sector. Um, things have just rapidly changed in the environment since World War II. Um, if you bring those two parties together, it, it's amazing the exchange of leadership practices that goes on. George, talk a little bit about this layout of this book. I mean, it's interesting how this is laid out because it seems to be like it's, it's laid out in different parts and you guys have been like very strategic on how you want to tee this up, if you will. Could, could you just share a little bit about like the layout of it? Yeah, well, we broke it out into, you know, three critical parts because, you know, we wanted to set the stage and the foundation. There's so many people that talk about leadership. There's so many people that talk about talent. We wanted to just kind of take you through, you know, what is talent, the fact that you can't see it, mm. how do we define talent, you know, going to war to get and secure that talent, and then how do you grow and keep that talent within your organization and win in your particular space. So, there, you know, we broke it up a couple chapters into each larger section, but we wanted to make sure that people, rather than jumping into a book and saying, okay, I can open up this manual and this is how we get the best talent in the world. We had to tell them what the mindset is and what talent really is and what really matters. And we had to spend a fair amount of time dispelling a number of myths, you know, because so many people hire based on experience or they hire, you know, really on a resume that lists the experience or lists the degrees and the companies they work for and a GPA. So we had to talk about, you know, dispel some myths and we use that as, you know, kind of what's wrong with current systems. 
And then we compare that against what special operations and how they look at it. And so each of those subchapters is kind of like, what are we seeing out in the industry? What can you learn from special operations? And this is what's going to end up happening if you do it right. Now, you to know, your George, point, yeah, go I was going to say, you know, to your point, it is hard. And one of the <laughs> things that Mike and I went to great lengths about was that we've, mo we've made more than our fair share of mistakes along the way. Mm. And so part of this is making sure that people get it right and learn from the things that we've had to slog through. You know, we recently, uh, George and I went on the Jocko podcast, which is one of the most, the nation's most followed business podcasts. And sure. again, that's, that's my boss and, and my partner. And he did sort of summarize it uh, well. So George and I went through this one and a half year journey of, of writing this book. And Jocko Willing just has an ability to get to essence of things. And he's like, hey, his, his sort of view in life is that leadership is the most important thing in everything we do. And he's like, guys, talent acquisition and talent management is leadership. It's a, yeah. what talent acquisition and, and talent management is, is it's a subset of leadership that most business owners and leaders overlook. Mm. And the reason they do that, and we understand, is that they're so focused on driving revenue around the team that they have that they don't pay enough attention to the people part of the business. You know, people may not, you may not find them on the bottom line, but your talent can, you know, either, uh, you know, drive your business or sink it. What, what is the, usually for most uh, industries, for most businesses, what's the number one cost uh, on their profit and loss sheets? Overhead, salaries. Absolutely. That's salaries. Right. Yeah, that's so right. if you don't get this right, it, it will impact your bottom line, uh, whether you like it or not. I mean, one of the things I wrote down as I was scanning through the book is HR leaders must be business leaders. I, I love that. And I talk about that all the time. When I took my HR certification uh, with uh, Dallas HR, the very, I mean, I just, bl I bless her heart. Barbara Hoover said, um, the first thing you need to do know is you need to know the business. Yeah. And, and too many times we think of ourselves as in that role, whether we're a salesperson or whether we're an HR, whatever we're in, we're thinking of that versus, Hey, we're in to try to figure out how can we grow the business? How can we help the business? So we're business leaders, uh, along the way. Right. Yeah, and we, you know, Mike and I were very fortunate to have a lot of people in our circle, uh, connections, friends, coaches, mentors that we tapped into. And one of them, to your point, is Tracy Keogh. Mm. Uh, she's the CHRO of Hewlett Packard. And you couldn't ask for a better example of a leader, number one. Number two, a CHRO. But she's, she did not come up through HR. She came up through the business world, Harvard business degree. Her MBA is from Harvard. And, and she put a, she gave us a number of just, just rock solid quotes, but one of them, she said, if you're going to be strategic, you've got to turn business problems into people problems mm -hmm. and turn those people issues into solutions for business problems. Um, and it, it really was, if, if you're not being strategic, that's what you have to do is make those business problems your own, understand that business, be students of the business, and then provide the talent and people solutions. Uh, another great example is Patty McCord yeah. and, and what she did in Netflix. The, right. These two, I mean, Patty McCord and Tracy Keogh are business leaders. Quite frankly, you could argue that they could step into the CEO of any Fortune 500 and, and probably run a better organization than most. Um, let, let, let's be honest here. When most traditional business leaders think of HR, 
they sort of put a compliance yeah. uh, taste on it. That yeah. hey, what HR is supposed to do is make sure that benefits and pay are squared away, that we're compliant with either the state or federal laws. If, if you view it that way, you, you're behind in this war, you're losing. But if you view your HR as a strategic function, in fact, one of the most uh, important strategic functions, even though it's a non-revenue generating function, it, it feeds the talent into all your revenue generating functions, then there's a chance, as Tracy says, a chance in hell that, uh, that, that actually you're utilizing HR in the right, uh, right way. Yeah, I got to see her at Oklahoma HR. She, she, she's, she's terrific. She's terrific, Patty McCord. Um, let, let me ask you a question. I, and and I, you know, this is one of the questions I've written. How do, how, do, how do companies know they have a talent problem? You, you would address some different uh, areas. Talk a little bit about that. Uh, it's, so there's a number of factors. Uh, your sales are down mm. or, uh, or stagnating. How about your, uh, your labor efficiency is just abysmal. Uh, of course, naturally those two feed into what? Your profits, which are uh, down as well. Your, your customer satisfaction. Your people are the external face to, uh, to your customers. And if your customer service is poor, then your, customer, then your, your, your employees are probably mis miserable and, and they're treating their, uh, your, your customers in that same uh, manner. Another big topic to George and I is employee engagement. Mm. Uh, you know, the data on employee disengagement is that uh, it can cost a company up to 3,400 per $10,000 uh, of, of labor. That's a massive uh, cost if your uh, employees are uh, totally disengaged. And then as a whole, if you're not innovating and adapting one, one of the tenets of extreme ownership, uh, that is because your your people are disengaged and you don't have the right people to drive your organization into the future. Those are just a few. And, and I know right now as we're saying that, a lot of business leaders are shaking their head. Right. They're all nodding with us, aren't they? George, you got anything to add on to that? No, some of the, you know, what people, you know, what Mike and I were trying to point out in saying these are the signs is because people don't normally turn to the lack of talent is the reason their revenue's down. Hmm. They're going to look at a market hmm. condition. They'll look at a product condition. Um, if they're not as productive, if they're not as efficient, you know, we pointed out these signs because people don't see these signs normally and then drive it back to having a talent problem. It was one of the very first parts of the book to say, hey, if, if you're seeing this, look here. And from there, getting the talent mindset, and then we take them on the rest of the journey. But it's not, a, you know, if your product's not working, if you're not innovating and adapting, to Mike's point, you, you know, attrition's the easy one to see. Attrition's the easy one to see, hey, I've got a talent problem. I've got driving attrition. I got some bad leaders, bad bosses, bad culture. But when your customers, you're having problems with customers, your revenue's down or flat, declining, whatever it is, you should be looking at the talent first. And it's not where people normally turn their head. So, so in the uh, in the book, I read. You know, the, uh, you also have uh, another. Uh, I think he might be a contributor, Dr. Josh Cotton. He, he had written uh, in the book. You can't see talent. Uh, you have to trust the process. And so, uh, can you kind of share a little bit about you know, Mike? Share a little bit about what what that means. He learned that one the hard way. That's for sure. Oh, he did. Yeah. So you already know the story I'm going to tell. Um, so I, I will tell a little story uh, from from my time in the military about where 
uh, you know, in the Marines, I, I finished number one from boot camp to the School of Infantry, uh, even uh, Marine OCS. Um, and, and after five years and being a young Marine, I, for, for whatever reason, I thought I had it figured out. <laughs> and when I stepped into SEAL training, I, I thought what uh, I knew what a good SEAL looks like, even though I'm going through the, the training alongside 250 other uh, amazing Americans. Um, I, I, you know, I was, I was, uh, I don't want to say overly confident or, or arrogant, but uh, I, I thought I understood the uh, the process. First off, let me let me talk about Josh. Josh is the uh, uh, he, he's the, uh, the, the you know uh, a partner in this. He was a main contributor. Uh, we could not have done this without uh, with Josh. Josh has an amazing story. So he's a industrial organizational psychologist okay. and finished his degree. Uh, a contract was open because he had worked with the Navy while while finishing his doctorate, and it was to go work with the Navy SEALs. His job was to assess how we assess and select talent. And potentially improve the uh, the process. So he had a number of years there. He worked with other special operations, and in fact, he created a, a test based off high performers in special operations. It's called the Elite Elite Performance Indicator. Um, so you know, Josh is a, a valued uh, team member alongside uh, George and I. So when I stepped into Buds, there were two individuals in my class that were rather unassuming, and I sort of just dismissed them as ah, they're not going to make it. Uh, one was Ryan Job. Ryan Job, actually, uh, well, there was a lot of uh, the instructor cadre didn't know how he made it into the training. He passed the gates that he had to, but he was not a thin guy, and it was just very odd for a community that sort of prides itself on on just physical fitness. Mm -hmm. And they threw everything at him they could legally, uh, you know, within uh, parameters, and the guy just had no quit in him. Mm -hmm. Where you had an NCAA athlete quit within the first two weeks at the end of hell week out of the 250 only 35 were standing ryan Job was one of them wow. and i looked down the line and i said how did that happen and how could i have been uh, so wrong another individual uh who is very unassuming uh goes by the name of johnny kim now to tell you johnny kim johnny kim became a seal um he was he was a, a first generation korean american from la um, most companies would probably pass uh, over him, but out of high school, he enlisted in the Navy. Uh, we ended up at SEAL Team 3 together. We were in the Battle of Ramadi together where he was awarded a silver star uh, for, for valor. And then the Navy said, hey, we want to send you back to college. They sent him to the University of San Diego, got a 3.98 in uh, mathematics, decides he wants to be a doctor in the Navy. So they send him to Harvard Medical School where he finishes wow. And then he was uh, 12 of 18,000 applicants that was accepted into the NASA astronaut program. And now Johnny Kim is an astronaut. SEAL, Silver Star uh, recipient, uh, doctor from Harvard and an astronaut all by the age of 34. I'm just happy that I know the guy and I'm associated with him. But again, had I judged a book by its cover, I would have mm. been absolutely wrong. I got to tell you that 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 story is amazing. That is an amazing. Story. I'm sitting here thinking back when I was 34. I'm still trying to figure it out at 34. Uh, that that's that's phenomenal. That's phenomenal. I love how you said that, George. I'd love to expand on that just a little bit because I also read. You know, I've I've heard this with Southwest Airlines uh, from the leadership team there, but it says hire for character and train for skill. I think they said hire for attitude, train for skill, but uh, similar similar. 
What are your thoughts on that? Because, you know, a lot of times I, I see, uh, you know, HR talent acquisition leaders out there saying, hey, we need all this experience. You don't have experience. And, they, and you know, and they're interviewing people with just high, high energy, high positivity, um, that will, right? That yeah. desire. Uh, I'm, I'm just curious what your thoughts are on that. Well, there's, the, there's a lot to unpack there. The first thing is, is that generally talent acquisition and HR aren't the ones coming to you with objective requirements. It's usually those teams and they're saying, I need somebody with seven years of this, three years of this, two years of this. Mm. And to back up from that, that comes because it's the easy way to measure things. It's the easy things to look at are the simple objective attributes. And you know, Mike and I, we, we don't want to say that that's necessarily the lazy way, but frankly, it is. And that stems from if HR is not strategic and you're not defining what success looks like from the very beginning, then objective requirements aren't going to get you there. Just because you have seven years of this, three years of this, they're not predictive of success. Now, what Mike and I go to great lengths to discuss is there are nine foundational character attributes that are predictive of success. And they are rarely included, rarely screened for by talent acquisition and HR professionals. They're not requested by hiring managers. And so the things that are gonna get you through COVID, through the crisis, through the, through the situations that you haven't seen as a leader or an individual contributor when your talent are your character attributes. And, you know, we, we had a, a great colleague, a brother of Mike's named Rich Devinney, and, and he said he made the quote that, you know, though skills degrade under stress and at the extremes, and it's the character attributes that carry the day and that keep you going. And so while it was a very, very simple statement for uh, the CEO of Southwest Airlines to say hire for character, train for skill, it was probably the best way to say it. And that's what the whole book about is defining those nine attributes and making sure that you have a methodology and a process for screening against those because they are predictive of success. Whereas objective years of experience, degrees and things, they are not predictive of success. So two points on that. Uh, one, Rich Devinney uh, actually was in charge of assessment selection uh, in the SEAL teams. He has a book coming out. Uh, an amazing speaker, amazing viewpoint and experience. It's called The Attributes, 25 Hidden Drivers of Performance. We, we can't wait, January of 2021. Fantastic. Um, you mentioned Southwest. Uh, now, let's be honest. I, like Southwest, I don't like the fact that I can't choose my seat, but they actually, their culture reinforces what Herb Kelleher said, we hire for attitude and mindset. They do it in their every day-to-day -day behaviors. That's truly the definition of, of a culture. And you see it in the fact that people keep coming back and back, even though they can't choose their seats. And, and the customer service, let's be honest, Southwest uh, you know, uh, flight attendants are like no others. They keep you laughing. They, 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 keep, uh, they keep you on point. And that is a great example of a company that truly has a talent mindset uh, where I think they're, they're definitely outpacing their, uh, their, their competitors. Oh man, there's no question. Um, and there's a lot of great companies out there. That was the first one that came to mind because I always have a great experience on a Southwest flight. Uh, I want to keep, I want to keep this conversation going because I'm, uh, as you talk about that, there was another thing I wrote down about branding yourself as a talent magnet. 
I, I read that and I was talking to uh, Annie Carolla. She's a talent acquisition leader at HKS just recently on a podcast. And we were talking about, you know, what talent acquisition. I mean, it, it's all about immersing yourself in the business to attract talent. Talk a little bit, um, George, talk a little bit about branding yourself as a talent magnet. Well, one of the first things, and we bring this topic up, is that A players want to work for A players. Mm. No B player wants, or no A player wants to be working for a B or a C player. So it starts with that. From there, you know, the simple things we put in the book are, are the use of social media. You know, even the special operations community is active on social and digital media, putting their brand out there that they are looking for top talent with these attributes. We talk about an employee value proposition, getting it right, meaning what do you offer that talent to join your organization? How can they hope to grow? How can they, they grow to impact and getting that down? And we contrast like examples from PricewaterhouseCoopers against, you know, the Ranger Creed or the Army Special Forces against Nike. And, and we show how they're both branding themselves as places for top talent to come to. And we kind of walk them through that and some of the use of uh, social and digital media to include LinkedIn, to include Glassdoor, so that your messaging is consistent about that what you value first and foremost is not the experience, it's the talent. And when you can brand yourself that way, and we give them a few techniques, you're going to attract a, a more robust population that have more likely than not those attributes and people will want to come work there. Additionally, and Mike and I um, are absolutely adamant about this, we mentioned it several times, is whatever you do attract that you have to demonstrate and keep that experience consistent with your brand. Additionally, that everybody within your company is a piece of that brand and is effectively a talent scout. So your A players have to be out attracting A players. Your messaging has to say, we're a home for A players for you to take it to the next level. And all of your interactions with social and digital media today have to reinforce that whatever comes that company's way, however you grow, this is a place for talent. This is where you want to play and work. Businesses need to look no further than one organization who does this better than pretty much I think anyone in the land, the United States Marine Corps. Mm. The fact that an 83 year old uh, man will, will introduce himself as a former Marine. It's almost like the litmus test. If your personnel, your employees at, at a party, don't say, ah, well, I'm a, uh, I'm, I'm, not, I'm a consultant. No, they say I'm with McKinsey. There's mm. a sense of pride. You know you are a talent magnet when the people that work for you or your former employees are prideful in the company. And a great another test is if somebody leaves your organization and they come back. Mm. If somebody comes back, you know you are a talent magnet because they said, hey, I took a job for $30,000 more. I was miserable. The culture was awful. I'm coming back. Mm -hmm. I, I got to tell you, I got chills. I got chills for that because, yes, and, and when I go to Duncan, Oklahoma, and we go eat at a local cafe, uh, others that are the same way in Marie, they are all very loyal. They they're wearing the hat, they're flying the flag. Uh, yeah. man, what a great example. You know, that's, uh, that's, that's not easy to do though. I mean, that's like, that's a massive organization, U S Marines, right? And then you have these other massive organizations that are able to do that, but yet you have other organizations that are smaller and just can't get everybody, uh, 
I don't know if it's buy-in or on the same page to wear those flags. Why is that? Um, you know, I, I think, you know, we brought it up in one of our, our little videos that, that we put out. And, and one of the things, not only did the Marine Corps lead the way, but, and, and with regard to hiring talent, it's a war that doesn't end. Mm. So you're, some people think, hey, let's get out these, you know, the swag, the things that people wear, give them to them for free, they'll wear them. It doesn't mean anything if it's not tied to the purpose, if it's not tied to the employee value proposition. And it's, it's constant. You, you don't say at some point, hey, we've achieved the right culture. Hey, we've achieved the right number of A players. We've achieved the brand. We're good. Let's just stop. No, it's ongoing. The, the war for talent, the war for branding yourself as a talent magnet is consistent. And the Marine Corps is just, I don't know of a better example. I mean, you just, everything they do, the way that they message, the way that they conduct themselves, the way that they're an example out in the community. Matter of fact, you can see a Marine when, when they're not in uniform, when they're just in civilian clothes. You're like, yeah, that's a Marine. I know it. But <laughs> And really bad they, haircut. haircut. Yeah. <laughs> they're good. That's fantastic. But you know what? They don't let up because it's part of who they are. It's their mindset. Yeah. And that's one of the things that we get across. You just don't let up and you don't declare victory. You keep going. Hey, George, I think this is a good one. To, to simplify everything yeah. that you're, you're spot on with is, Bruce, as you ask, why can't companies do it? Yeah. It comes down to one thing, because of leadership. Mm. Yeah. Final answer. Mm. It, you're, you, the, the fact is, if people are prideful in your organization, it's because you have a solid culture of leadership, of inclusion as well a sense of belonging. It's leadership. Yeah. Listen, that's fantastic. And I agree 100% that, that that's right on. Uh, I got a couple more questions I want to ask you. And one of those, I want to make sure I hit this because I hear this a lot uh, in, in my uh, HR circles, and that is uh, succession planning. And one of the things I noticed is that you guys also talk a little bit about succession planning in the book as well. I think you might even have like a, a matrix or some kind of assessment. Talk a little bit about succession planning and the importance of that. So it, uh, you know, the military does so many things well. Mm -hmm. um, and it was necessary when Mike was running a mission or when I was running a mission or doing anything whatsoever in the environments that we've been in, we have to do that because you can have a leader become incapacitated, wounded, killed. And just because your leader, your number one or your number two goes away, that doesn't mean the mission's over. Oh, hey, you know what? We lost our leaders. We've got to stop. No, you've got to keep going forward. So it's built into our muscle memory that if you have a 200-person organization and you go out on a mission, from the first person to the last person, you could lose 195, and those last five would know what the succession plan was. Mm. And so borrowing that from the military, transitioning that to corporate America, it's something in my 20 years, people talk about. And they might have a chance or two to say, okay, well, but they don't do a thorough analysis of where they have critical points of failure, number ones, number twos, number threes. And doing that, one of the tools that we, we have put up as a, you know, we don't say that this is the be all end all, but the nine box, which is on one axis, whether it's vertical or horizontal is performance. And then the, the other one, is, excuse me, potential. What potential does that person have versus what is their current performance? And it, it's a simple way 
to help you look at everybody in your organization, plot them on the chart, and simply see, okay, you know what, I don't have a successor in this role, or I don't have a number three, or I have somebody, but they're two years away. And so we talk about it because continuity of operations in the military is something that we do from muscle memory, but corporations don't do it. And then if you don't do it, what happens if you lose a number one, number two, or number three, what do you do? You fear-based hiring, you rush to the market, you fill that with a button seat, and you've just compounded your problem because you don't have a number two or number three, you have a position that was filled. You don't have talent. And so it creates this bad circle if you don't do proper succession planning. And that's why it was so important for us to go into the book, because it was one more thing the military does well. The military is built off a, a, a concept of what we call decentralized command. Is that you understand where you are within the organization. You're prepared to step one level up or two levels up or three levels up as required by the organization. Like you said, it's muscle memory uh, to the culture of the, uh, the military. If I have a 200 man element in the military, what we do is we're constantly assessing our talent. I mean, we can rank them number one all the way to 200. And, and we're asking ourselves, do we have the right leaders to step up if I'm taken off the battlefield? Because ultimately, my legacy as a leader is not how the organization performs when I'm in the seat. That's expected of you. It's how the organization performs after I leave. Um, so this, this really falls into the talent management piece. What a lot of businesses are realizing that is that they are centralized, that they, ha they have critical points of failure within their organization that if I remove George Randall from this position, that department or that company will completely fail because they've not created a, uh, a structure of decentralized command. They've not, uh, you know, explained or articulated who's next in line. Um, and really this is a, this is the second book. People have already hit us up. They're like, Hey, you got to talk more about the talent management piece. We're like, we know we, we've got it. Huge, huge. Oh man, this is huge. Listen, I could talk about this all day long. This is fantastic. Um, I'm curious, Mike, what, what are you hoping? What are you really hoping when someone finishes reading this book? that they will do? So uh, two things. One, um, this was a journey for George and I. You know, we didn't say, hey, we're going to write this book so we can sell all these books. <laughs> it, it was also, you know, we challenged our own viewpoints. The discussions between Josh, George, and I were very lengthy and quite frankly, probably delayed the book from coming out uh, earlier. I mean, we had some heated discussions. And we had to, some of us had to check our egos and, and say, hey, you know what, your, your viewpoint is probably better than mine. But for people, you know, people want a prescriptive sort of, uh, you know, a, a stepped phase to create a, a world-class talent acquisition uh, process. No book can provide that. And it's going to be different for every industry. It's going to be different for every company. What people are going to do when they walk, uh, walk away from this book, business leaders, is they're going to call a meeting. They say, hey, I want my, my, my senior leadership team in here right now and say, hey, we don't have a talent mindset and we're not fighting this war the right way. And if you can have that conversation, you can start to take steps to build that talent acquisition uh, pipeline. But here's the thing. And we end the book this way. We, we talk about building a talent, uh, a, a talent magnet, a world-class talent acquisition process. And then we say, Oh, Hey, by the way, uh, if you don't have a solid culture or leadership foundation and you try to build a talent acquisition, a world-class talent acquisition process, you're going to become a revolving door of talent because talent will not put up with bad leadership. So before you even start that process, you have to look in the mirror and do a brutal self-assessment and say, 
Are we leading the way we should? Does our day-to-day behavior reinforce the culture that somebody would want to be a part of? Yeah. And say, George, what would you add to that? The only thing that I would add is Mike's right. Have those conversations to bring about that talent mindset. But ultimately, it's about treating your human capital with the same rigor and the same importance that you treat your financial capital with. Mm -hmm. If we can get and elevate talent acquisition and HR, along with other leaders to a strategic level, adopt a talent mindset and win and build the U.S. economy stronger, hey, we, we will feel like we've continued serving in the way that we'd like to. And Bruce, this, this, we have to highlight this. There's no quick fix here. Mm. This mm. is getting, Thank you. This, this war never ends. It, the example we use is special operations. Their assessment and selection process, when we say assessment and selection to the business world, that's the hiring process. It's still evolving. They have been evolving this for the past 50 decades. And I think they're far ahead of any other organization. But they continually come to the table and say, are we looking for the right attributes and who we're selecting into the community? Are we selecting the right leaders that are going to drive this organization? Not now, not only now, but five years down the line. People that are so curious and adaptable uh, and they can innovate. And so we have these feedback loops in the special operations community. We're always tracking our, our personnel saying, Hey, did we select the right person into the organization? Or if somebody didn't work out, what did we miss and how do we improve our process so that we, we, we don't ever run into that scenario again. So that's why we say it's an endless never ending war. And if you can commit to that and understand that for some people, it's going to, you know, organization, it's going to take you a decade. But that is a, a fight worth fighting. And actually, the, the livelihood of your organization may very depend on it. I love it. I love it. You know, um, I was thinking about, uh, you'd mentioned Nike earlier. They have on their, uh, when you walk in, there's no finish line. Yeah, that's what yeah. you're talking about. <laughs> there's yeah. no finish line here yeah. at all. Uh, I like that. And, and, and you were talking about how we're always, you know, I actually had read, you assess, select, and develop talent um, assessing. So my, my brother-in-law, uh, is former CEO for an oil and gas company. And, I mean, this is the CEO, this is the top guy who's looking in the mirror every day and he's asking himself the questions, am I growing or shrinking? Uh, am I uh, better today than I was yesterday? Am I engaged or disengaged? He's always assessing every single day and he, he continues to do that. He doesn't stop that. And that's why he's, you know, leading. Uh, that, that's fantastic. You know, I, um, Man, I, I, there's so much more I'd love to get into, but I want, I want to just, one of the things I like to do on this show is, you know, you guys are, obviously you guys are doing some great things. I always like to pull out, you know, Mike, you talked about leadership. I mean, I, I, I just, I, 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 I get chills when I hear that word because I know what great leadership looks like and what not great leadership looks like. And so we're leading every day. We're leading our teams. Uh, and that's what we're talking about today. But uh, what about leading ourselves every day? And so I'm just wondering, uh, Mike, I want to start with you. Is there a daily discipline, a daily practice that you have in your life every day? What's your, like, what's your, you know, as a CEO, what does it look like? What time do you get up? And, and what's your day look like <laughs> <laughs> uh, from the time you say, hey, you know what, I'm, I'm going to call it a day? 
So, you know, a lot of it is what these guys right here preach is we talk about discipline uh, mm -hmm. all the time. I do have a personal regimen. You know, I, I, I get up early. I, I, I try to get two workouts in the day, one in the morning and then some cardio at night. Um, sometimes that doesn't always happen because sometimes we don't get out of the office until eight. Welcome to entrepreneurship. Um, <laughs> a smart person said you can choose three things, uh, the business, family, and fitness, uh, but you can only choose two of those. Um, so family and uh, the business come first. But uh, we get up early um, and, and we get in here early. Um, and I'll tell you what, uh, what my practice is, and people ask if you can you know, work at humility. Yeah, you can. You, you can increase the, you, 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 that attribute absolutely just by looking in the mirror every night and saying, am I taking the right steps as a leader? Or like you said, is my organization growing or shrinking? And are my people engaged? Do they feel like they have a sense of purpose behind EFO of Watch? And right now, George, I think, you know, we can't answer that, but we work with our team daily. And yeah. I've, you know, I thought I was never going to replace the sense of camaraderie and esprit de corps that I had in the military. And I was wrong. It is possible. And I love echelon front, my brothers, and I love EF overwatch. And, uh, you know, the, the, the fact that I have a sense of, uh, esprit de corps with, with human beings in the business world, uh, that that's all I need in life. The money will follow. Ooh, I like that. The money will follow. I love that. George, how about you? What's your, What's your day look like? I mean, COVID's probably a little bit different, but what's your day look like? Are you an early riser? And, and what's your, what's your uh, discipline look like? I am, and I'll be the first to confess I don't like it. My alarm goes off every day at 03.30 a.m. Um, and, you know, I, for me and Mike, actually, Mike and I challenge each other all the time. We have a challenge going on, but it's an entirely different podcast. There's a slight age difference. I want to, I want to emphasize slight age difference here. But we're both in the gym. We both get our workouts in. And I just do mine in the morning. I think the biggest thing for me is I've got to disconnect. Mike and I are both seriously A-plus players. And, and, and I've got to keep my game high to, to be given the best to Mike. Mike's got to do the same thing for me. But one of the reasons that we're so regimented on the fitness and doing the discipline is it's our place to decompress and, and, and refresh, meaning our minds are going a million miles an hour at any given time with all the things that we've got to do, we want to do, and all the impact we want to make. We're not getting any younger. So we get an early start at it, but at the gym when we're pounding iron or doing cardio, it's a way to disconnect and decompress, believe it or not. So we're not thinking about anything other than making ourselves better. Um, and we hit the day, you know, with a hell of a lot more energy. So other than that, and my addiction to soccer, which that's gone away for COVID, my, I, I know he's shaking his head about it, but I've been playing competitive soccer for about 35 years. And it, they're just ways to detach because then when I get done from that, I can come back and approach problems from a, with a fresh mind, an energetic mind, and to go after it. At least he's not calling it football. Which he usually calls it. I have to remind him there's only one type of football in uh, in the United States. I love it, man. I love. Well, listen. I I think that uh, I'm really excited. Now, tell tell me again. When does the the book come out uh, for people to be able to to get that? And where will they be able to find that? A very special day. Very very special day. And you know what? And I have to say this as an Army guy. It comes out on November 10th the birthday of the United States Marine Corps mm. and right before Veterans Day. So I think it's really, really a great day. They can find it on Amazon. 
Uh, and eventually Mike and I are, are working once the hard, the hard cover comes out. Right now it's paperback Kindle. The hardback will be up there shortly. The audio book is just being finished. And Jocko Willing's done the foreword for us as well. Um, and then we're working on a mechanism to get those people who want signed copies uh, to get those out to them. They can find it on Amazon right now. It's yeah, uh, yeah. It hit number one bestseller in business consulting and pre-sales. So uh, George and I are new to this. We're, we're just sort of like, hey, what does that mean? We're happy. Listen, so what, man, I'm anyone, excited right? for you guys. Yeah. But oh it is gosh. not the finish line. It's yeah. not the no. finish line no. to bring that point home. I think, you know, when I published my book, I thought once I publish it, I'm done. That's when the work begins, uh, yes. by the way. Um, that's fair. You know, listen. I remember how good of a feeling that is to, you know, get ready to have that launch. And so I'm, I'm really excited for you guys. I know it's going to, it's going to change some people's lives. Like I really believe that not just organizations, but people, right. And that's what you're talking about people. Um, I do have one final question. I'm going to ask it here in just a second, but before I do, I just want to ask kind of a final takeaway for the book. Uh, do you want to share anything else that I haven't covered? Mike, I'll just let you, no, yeah, one, uh, you know, as people read this book, one, we, we'd love to hear your input. Um, mm -hmm. Leave a review. It helps us get better. If there's something we missed or you disagreed, we'd love to hear your thoughts because um, people are entitled to their perceptions uh, and experiences are shaped, uh, you know, shape your perceptions. We'd love to hear it. Um, if people want to get a different look and an ex exceptional uh, talent pool, give EF Overwatch a, uh, a try. The data shows that uh, CEOs with a military background outperform their civilian counterparts. Um, it, it's not, it's not, we're not promoting military. We promote leaders and, uh, mm. we have been providing some amazing leaders into senior management positions in small to mid-sized businesses, which is really our focus. But the fortune 500s, we, we, we don't work, uh, too often with, um, cause it, it's more of a, uh, the, the process is, is different but we love small to mid-sized business leaders who are just trying to build those high, high performing teams. And believe it or not, I think we will turn EF Overwatch into the number one producer of either chief leadership officers or chief people officers. Mm. That's sort of our ultimate goal uh, because who better than a special operations or, or military leader with 20 years of assessment selection and training to step in and help solidify a culture of leadership in small to mid-sized businesses. George, yeah. anything you want to add? Final things, just on top of Mike, you know, it's, um, I think we're building something very, very unique here yeah. uh, because Mike's absolutely right. Small and medium business could use these leaders, but this isn't a search firm either. Now we might, we might have to go out and search, but Mike and I are assessing that talent before we even let them in the door. Then we're reassessing them as they go in front of companies which is distinctly different than most search firms. You know, they're providing resumes. Hey, they've got this experience. No, Mike and I are screening for exactly the things that we talk about in the book. Do they have the right, right, right mindset? And we have a unique ability that we can reach back and kind of check out their background. So we make sure that we do that so that, you know, on the trust performance matrix, they're really high. Other than that, the last thing that I would say is how is one of how we close the book, which is talent plus leadership equals victory. Mm. And that's what Mike and I have really committed ourselves to here. And 
I, my good fortune of meeting Mike two years ago and getting on this journey, there, there's not enough words to say how fortunate of a person I am to, to be able to, to go on this journey with Mike, my brother. That's the nicest thing he said to me. <laughs> hey, Mike, George. I've got that recorded. I'm just going <laughs> to yes, let you know you. that right now. Please. This is recorded. I'll, I'll send that to you. Hey, I'm this trying is to make up for something I put on LinkedIn <laughs> about how we wrote the book. Oh, stand by. I love it. Stand by. I love it. I love it, man. You guys got energy. You got passion. I mean, that, I love that. Uh, I want to just, I want to ask this final question. I, I like to ask this to all my guests and, and George, I'm going I'm to start with you. Uh, what is your, what is your 10 year older self say to you if he's knocking at your door today? My 10 year older self, you can do more. You could always do more. Keep driving, keep grinding, stay on the path, stay disciplined, check your ego and make a difference. Never forget that, that, you know, everything that you do, first of all, you're running out of time. None of us know how much time we have. And so get on the path, be disciplined, contribute, drive hard, work hard, check your ego and make other people better along the way. That's fantastic. Mike, what's your 10 year older self say to you knocking at your front door today? It would be enjoy the journey. Mm. It yep. wouldn't tell me where it's going to end, but just enjoy the journey. And uh, sometimes uh, I think we all lose sight of that. We, we have a end state in, uh, in mind, but um, honestly, for George and I, it's just impacting uh, American businesses and then also impacting the lives of deserving military leaders. The Talent War, how special operations and great organizations went on talent. I cannot wait uh, till that comes out. So for uh, anyone that wants to connect with you or learn more about uh, the book, how would be the best way to connect, Mike? Uh, you know, Mike at EFOverwatch.com. Uh, uh, we, we try to be as uh, responsive as, as possible. Uh, we've sort of... Uh, uh, we've been getting hit up since the book released. Uh, so we're, we're, you know, running around with our hair on fire. Yes, I know I don't have hair. Uh, George is, but yeah, no, reach out via email. And, um, you know, uh, we're, we're just humbled by the response so far. Yeah, fantastic. George? Uh, yeah, there's going to be two ways, you know, you can reach us at efoverwatch.com if you're looking uh, both for talent consultancy, for leaders, um, and to reach out to us, that's a good way. Also, feel free to connect with us on LinkedIn mm. and join some of the conversations that we've posted up. You know, Mike and I have two threads going. We're commenting on both 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 ends. Um, I, I would say that's absolutely. And, and George at dfoverwatch.com. Just email us. We're we're pretty maniacal about getting back to people. Might be a little bit of a delay in the current, but it's a good problem to have, and we're just getting after it and getting back to everybody. It's been an honor. It's absolutely been an honor and a pleasure to have you guys on the show, sharing your wisdom and your perspective. And I just want to say uh, from the bottom of my heart, thank you for coming on the show. Thank you, Bruce. Thank you for having us. Awesome. We'll see you guys. Thanks. Thanks.